You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Thursday, June the 11th, 2020, just after market close here on the East Coast. I'm Ed Harrison. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Shortly, we'll be joined by Lloyd Connor, who is the CIO and general partner at Connor Capital Management. But first, here's Peter Cooper with the market news. Thanks, Ed. Equities plummeted worldwide today, with the first signs of distress coming from Asia. Later, the carnage in European stocks showing today would be a full-on market blowout. U.S. stocks suffered as well, with the Dow Jones down over 6%, with the S&P having one of the worst days this year. But today, I want to cover the root cause of a lot of this mayhem, the ongoing spread of the coronavirus and the efforts to contain it. In the U.S., several states have experienced large jumps in their daily confirmed cases. While a part of that is due to an increase in testing, part of that is directly linked to the reopening. According to Banner Health, the largest medical network in Arizona, on June 8th, the amount of COVID-19 patients who needed ventilators increased by 400%. As a result, their ICU facilities are starting to reach max capacity. As of Monday, according to CNN, 76% of ICU beds were occupied. Last week, Dr. Kara Christ, Arizona's Department of Health Services director, sent a letter to the state's hospitals urging them to enact their emergency plans in order to prepare for crisis care. In order to curb the spread, Will Hubble, former Arizona's health chief, told Reuters that Governor Doug Ducey would either need to A, implement a field hospital plan, or B, enact another stay-at-home order. According to Texas Department of State Health Services, the state had their third straight day in record hospitalizations, with yesterday's being 2,153. Per a press release that Governor Greg Abbott had published on June 3rd, Texas is now in phase three of its reopening. And effective tomorrow, restaurants may be permitted to operate at 75% capacity. Even though Texas is experiencing the sharp increase in hospitalizations, they are still proceeding with their reopening plans. In Latin America, various countries have been experiencing an acceleration in COVID cases. In Brazil, there have been around 772,400 cases, and as of this morning, almost 40,000 people total have died. President Jair Bolsonaro has also come under sharp criticism for his attempt at sabotaging isolation measures and suppressing the official data. The crisis is so intense in Brazil that top military officials are warning of an incredible instability in the country. In fact, President Bolsonaro's son, Eduardo Bolsonaro, recently told a Brazilian blogger that, quote, it's no longer an opinion of if, but when this will happen, end quote, in reference to Brazil's democratic system rupturing. In India, they are also experiencing an exponential increase in daily confirmed cases and in new deaths. The government had started to reopen the economy earlier in May in order to revive it. However, in the past several weeks, officials have been having difficulties in enforcing restrictions as they have faced a 170% increase in cases between May 18th and June 8th. Cabinet Secretary Rajiv Guba had stated on June 9th that 69 districts in India had a case fatality rate of 5% or more and labeled this an issue of concern. As countries and regions have attempted to reopen and kickstart the economy, we can see here just a few examples of how many are struggling to contain the virus and suppress its severity. The coronavirus is not done with us, and we must be prepared for the suffering ahead, economic and public health alike. Now, I'll hand it back to you, Ed. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks for that, Peter. And welcome to the show, Lloyd. This is uh, you're a, a newbie, so to speak, here, first time on Real Vision. Thank you for being here with us. It's great to be here, Ed. Thanks for having me on. You know, I was telling you before you came on that one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to talk to you was because we wanted to get an outside perspective. Uh, people who are slightly more bullish about the stock market, uh, people who are looking at individual stocks uh, that could give us a little bit of a different take than what we've seen with some of our in-house uh, commentary. And so uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about what you're seeing, especially today because we've had a really a, an amazing day, if you will, in terms of the markets. Uh, the markets were down pretty substantially. Uh, what do you make of the price action today? You know, it seems like a long overdue pullback after a 40 plus percent rise off the bottom in late March. Uh, so I think it's helping. I think that it you know, might be over, might not be over. Certainly some stocks that I missed at the bottom, I might get the opportunity at again. Uh, but in a rising market, and I think we will have a continued rising market through the end of the year, perhaps into next year, this is healthy. You know, 5 to 10% pullbacks usually happen in a rising market. So I think this is fine. And, you know, as you say that, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, uh, maybe it's a good time to introduce uh, what you do, what sort of time horizon that you're looking at in terms of, you know, one year, three years, et cetera, and, uh, and uh, what stylistic uh investor you are. Gotcha. Great. I mean, we're a long, short equity hedge fund, and we focus on turnarounds and transformations as well as great companies at good prices, which means we're very opportunistic when we buy uh, in either strategy. And uh, and we hedge. We tend to hedge with market hedges and other things rather than stock-specific. We prefer puts and other other downside risk limited hedges that have been very effective for us to outperform in significant bear markets and like we've just been through. Um, that being said, you know, the turnaround, the transformations, they're tough. You got to be very careful, got to watch the balance sheet, make sure you have good management and make sure the debt is under control, the sector, the industry is fine. The great companies at good prices come off our 100 year storm list. It's a list of companies that we track for years, actually decades, that are very high quality, that rarely get inexpensive enough for us to buy. But this past uh, few months, a few of them certainly became inexpensive enough, and we're able to purchase a couple, and we missed a few too. Right. And what sort of time frame are you looking at in terms of uh, your, your normal investing horizon? Yeah, we, we do, you know, we focus on a year, three years, and five years. Uh, in addition to that, and probably more importantly for us, is the change in the stock price. We're usually looking for a minimum 50% upside in any position, and that includes the hedges, uh, and as well as 100% plus on the turnarounds and transformations, because there's a very high hurdle. It's tough to turn around and transform a company, so you've got to be 100% plus, usually 50%. 100% more takes more than one year for a stock to appreciate that much. Right, definitely. And, and, you know, it's interesting what you so you were saying basically 100 year storm because of the coronavirus. And then you uh, got some of your 100 year picks uh, in in March at the March lows. But now we're up 40 percent 
potentially we could have a pullback uh, that will see you uh, be able to take more bites of the apple. Talk to me through uh, what this market's looked like for you in terms of being able to navigate it from that perspective, March versus today. Yeah, in March, fortunately, we went into March uh, without any leverage. We tend not to use any. We certainly didn't have any. We had some cash. We had some hedges that kicked in very well. And the companies we own were not at risk of bankruptcy or busting covenants. So I wasn't worried about them you know, going bankrupt. So we were able to hold on. And basically, we rode a bunch down, and they rode back up, and some have now exceeded where they were going into the March downturn. So we did have the cash, allowed us to be opportunistic on things we wanted to buy. We started releasing the hedges towards the end of March, and you know certainly didn't you know top tip the hedges, but they did their job, and we released them and started rehedging again more recently, as well as we still have cash. Now, would I like a bit more of a pullback to buy some of these hundred-year storm stocks? absolutely would. My guess it would take another five plus percent on the averages for these stocks to drop five, 10 or 15 percent. And then a few opportunities may show up. Right. And, and so you're basically a fundamentals investor and you are looking at this in a bullish way, uh, th this market. I mean, how much does the macro play into how you're thinking about these stock selections? Yeah, we've always incorporated the macro because if we're going into recession, you know, there's some things that can work, but there are many things that won't work. So right now, I think we're kind of pulling out of a recession or in a recession. But if I'm looking forward six to 12 months, which is what we do, uh, when I think the economy will be improving, both the United States and worldwide. So definitely the macro counts. Uh, but in addition to that, the company fundamentals and the stock price are also critical. But my macro view is positive. And my stock market view is positive, though there will be plenty of volatility and pullbacks. Right. And so uh, will you be able to talk individual names or sure. uh, you will? OK, great, because I want to talk to you about some individual names, certainly. Um, you know, the, I think that the narrative that we've been talking about a lot on uh, Real Vision Daily Briefing is about liquidity, how mm -hmm. liquidity, you can't beat it. Both we're talking about monetary liquidity and we're also talking about, uh, to a certain degree, fiscal power and that Really, when you look at the measures that have been taken, not just in the United States, but around the world, basically what policymakers are telling you is that they've taken all the tail risk off the table, that you know we're not going to have a Great Depression. But the real question, therefore, is, you know, wh where's the upside for us here? How much of that liquidity is driving your thinking about what the upside is uh, in terms of dipping your toe into the markets at these levels, given sort of the turmoil that we've seen today? That's a great question. And, you know, as far as we, we look at the market and the economy, it's there's three, three things that really drive the market, in our opinion. Uh, and that's liquidity, certainly one of them. And there's tons of it. I think there's going to be more. And I like that. If I didn't think there'd be liquidity, if the credit markets were closing down, then I don't want to play. And that reminds me back in July of tw uh, 2007, the credit markets closed in the summer of 2007. And when I found that out, I started backpedaling quickly. I got out of the market to help protect for eight and nine. So liquidity number one, interest rates being low or at the right level, they're going to be low for a long time. And we all thought it. The Fed Reserve Chair Powell made it very clear yesterday. So that is also a positive. And then there's the fundamentals. And like you said, I'm a fundamental investor. So I need to see improving fundamentals at a specific company. 
uh, both operationally and earnings-wise, cash flow, balance sheet, the whole thing's got to be moving in the right direction, or again, I'm not interested. Yeah, so give me an example, uh, you know, since we, I said I wanted to talk to you about individual names, uh, some of these great companies at good prices that you're talking about, what, what's a name that, has that you've been able to pick up during this, uh, this period, this last three months? Our most glaring one, and the one that people probably know the best, would be Nike, uh, which was already on a, they were kind of coming out of a, a turnaround period, a greatly improved period. So things were going well when the pandemic hit. Stock got hit hard, and we were opportunistic because, you know, everything is kind of going right at Nike right now. And even their sales in China already have picked up fairly well. And I got to say, Puma also is doing pretty well and was doing well going into the pandemic. But I don't know if I'm going to buy both. And Nike got a bit cheaper and seemed like the better opportunity at that moment. Um, so Nike's, Nike was one. Illinois Toolworks is another company not as familiar. It's an industrial. I've known them for 25 years. And I didn't know it at the time. But the stock got hit hard. People were concerned about their exposure to automobiles and other industrial sectors. This is a great company. They have high return on invested capital. They've been doing very well. They're very high margins. And they also made a pledge in their last call when their earnings actually were much better than they expected. They're not laying off or furloughing anyone after a couple of months of a downturn, which I also admire. It helps retain good people, attract good people, and it looks like the right decision because if we do come out of this faster than expected, and I do think things will improve faster than I think most people in the market expects, they won't have any hiccups operationally because they haven't let go of people. So those you know, it's interesting because those are two very different sectors. One, one particularly hard to hit, and you were saying that uh, Illinois uh, Toolworks was also in a relatively hard hit sector in that it was uh, related to automobiles. How much of what you're looking at is individually company based? How much of it is sectorally based? You know, it's almost entirely individual company based, though certainly I keep track of sectors and don't want to have overexposure to one sector. Uh, just as risk management, but really it's bottom-up. It is fundamental, bottom-up, company by company. And now if the sector is in distress, I don't want to participate. But by, besides that, it really is company by company. And you know, one more live nation, which is an industry that's certainly under pressure because of you know, theatrical stuff is not happening. There are no live concerts. They're just starting now. Now, this is by far the best, largest, and most profitable concert promoter in the world by far. That was also on my list, and I was getting ready to buy it, and I didn't do it, but I also own Liberty Sirius XM, and they decided to fold their Live Nation holding into Liberty Sirius XM, so they kind of made the decision for me. So now I have exposure, because I'm going to exercise my rights with Liberty Sirius to get exposure to Live Nation. But there's a sector, there's an industry that normally I would not get involved with, but it's so high quality, the price was so low, and to ride with Liberty Media into it made a great opportunity. Well, let me look at uh, both Nike and Liberty Media from that perspective in terms of bad sectors, let's call it, uh, retail and also live performances. Uh, what is it about those particular assets that you find compelling, given that you could arguably say that those are bad sectors, who knows, for the next year, next two years? Yeah, they certainly have this bad sector exposure that could hurt them. Now, Nike's got an unbelievable global brand. I'm sure it's in the top 10, if not the top five. So basically, if they lose some distribution, it'll hurt short term, but they can people can buy the sneakers 
elsewhere. They can go to their own stores. They can go online. They'll never be hurting for distribution, and Nike's focused on their own online distribution. So that's not going to be a problem. Though, you know, Foot Locker has problems or others, that will be a short-term hurt. But I can deal with that. My time horizon is not a couple of days or weeks. Live Nation, you know, we're going to find out when these concerts are allowed to happen again. It might not be for a little while. I think it's going to be sooner than later. And I think people will come out more than people expect. That being said, I can wait. I like the price. I have a I position size also critically important to the point where it's not so big that if it doesn't happen quickly, I underperform. Or if things trend worse, it's going to knock me out. So that's also a critical part of going into a sector that's having a problem. Don't get too big too fast in a dicey environment. In that 50% hurdle that you were talking about, uh, it, uh, do you have, given the fact that uh, they probably haven't fallen, Nike certainly, 50%, do you have 50% upside for those particular companies? Definitely. Nike, Live Nation, Illinois Toe Works over the next, that's more than one year. I would say over the next, you know, one to three years, barring, you know, the pandemic getting worse, economic disaster, something exogenous happening we can't predict, definitely. Now, there's a turnaround transformation that we got an opportunistic buy at that I do see 100% plus upside over the next, you know, one to three years. And it could happen faster. It just depends. And that's an extended stay. It's a hotel chain, 570 plus hotel, actually 557 hotels in the United States. They also own them. They have a REIT embedded in the company, which might get restructured out. So this has a a structural play to it also. You had a very smart investor in Barry Sternlich at Starwood, take an 8.5% position right towards the bottom, Outstand, best hotel investor in the world by far. And interesting about extended stay, right now their occupancy is at 71%. And it didn't dip too far down below that because essential workers were staying at these hotels because they have kitchens, because they're individual, almost like apartment-like hotel rooms and they don't have a lot of competition in their sector right now. So this is a this is a turnaround, somewhat transformation if they kind of break off parts of it with outstanding management, and they're already doing well. I don't think people understand how for a hotel, they're already doing well, and rates are going up as of the last month. And so, you know, I understand with uh, Nike, uh, for instance, and I understand with Live Nation, given uh, their moats, if you will, um, why you would want into them. But what specifically about Illinois Toolworks and what specifically about Extended Stay makes them a, a, a companies that will be able to outperform versus the competition in sectors that are arguably beaten up uh, over the next one, three or five years? That's great. I mean, both are outstanding operators uh, with, with high margins that can go higher. Illinois Tool Works, they're going to see, now it's not all autos, but they do have exposure, but auto sales are already trending up. And the car dealers I talk to and what I read see that car sales are picking up faster than people expected. I think the uh, SAR will be better than people expect. So that helps them. And any industrial cyclical pickup will also be excellent for them because they have exposure in many different industries. They're very well run. They're, you know, they're they're aggressive with their balance sheet in a good way. So they're smart. So it's kind of a value play on a cyclical pickup from a company that knows how to outperform its peers. And I no doubt it that it will. Uh, as far as Live Nation, also, you know, I think things are going to come back faster than expected. They're outstanding management. They're going to see opportunistic buys if they oh, want. No, actually, Live Nation, I'm not, I, I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking actually about extended stay. Oh, extended stay. Um, 
they're just people are going to be traveling. They've already started traveling a little bit. And if you want your own apartment like place to stay with your own kitchen because you're concerned about going to a restaurant, you're concerned about going out, this gives you a self contained place to stay at a very low rate. Because usually what they call transients are just like, you know, an individual going to stay there or with a family. That's usually a small part of their business, but that's growing because usually it's professionals, people with long stays, extended stay if they're being relocated. Um, so they're going to get that, but they're also going to get individuals who want a self-contained place to go. And rates are already going up, which is very surprising. I think it's even surprising them. They're able to charge more already. Interesting. Now, when you mentioned management, the, fr the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, when we were talking about this before, uh, the no's, the things that will cause you to say, you know, actually, uh, uh, you know, this might look good on paper, but I'm not going to buy this uh, this individual company because of this. Management's one of them. What are the things that cause you to say, I, I just can't, I can't stomach it. I can't buy this company. Yeah, we do a deep dive on management. You know, if real estate is, you know, location, 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 we are management, management, management. We dig deep to see how they've handled things in the past, how successful they be, and we speak with them. So management, like you said, that's number one, balance sheet. If the balance sheet is stressed to the point where they could go bankrupt, they could bust covenants, we just don't have an interest. We'll wait. We'll wait for the credit guys. We'll wait for them to restructure the balance sheet. We don't want to do that. We want them to focus on operations, not on saving the company. So that's number two. The third one is an industry or a sector that's in cyclical decline or is dying. You know, maybe it's the newspaper industry. It's just not for us. It's too difficult. If you're fighting the tide, of a dying industry, it's too tough no matter how good the management is and no matter how good the balance sheet is. So that's the third one. A dying industry, we stay away. And of those three, which are the which which of the three is the most important when you're taking a look at a bottoms up perspective? Well we start with the balance sheet on any company. So if it's too stressed, we just pass. We might come back later, but a stress balance sheet is our first the first line. If we can't get past that, then we just move on. Right. You know, and I think uh, I was talking to you about, for me, the differential between Bed Bath Beyond and Lennons and things. Mentally, uh, there was almost no differentiation between the companies. They were almost indiscriminate in my mind. But then in the last recession, Lennons and things was liquidated because it had a terrible balance sheet. Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, marched on. Absolutely. And, and, and they still exist. They kind of won the sector because they're basically the last man standing. Now, they're under pressure as well. So, and I, and, you know, their balance sheet is not what it used to be, but that's critically important when then looking at the peers within a group, like who's got the best balance sheet, who's got the best management, and, uh, and, and basically how is the sector doing? And so we, we do focus on all three. You know, when you say that, I just, I'm thinking about what's happening right now in the markets, because a lot of what's going on, you see Tesla, I think Tesla bottomed at like 350 in March, and they're, they were up above 1,000. So that's almost three times your money. But then you have all of these companies like Chesapeake, uh, you have Hertz as an example. Hertz is actually in bankruptcy as we speak, and they were up 350%, despite the fact that they're in bankruptcy. And you're telling me, when you are looking from a bottoms-up perspective, the balance sheet is the first thing on your on your rule book. So, what's going on there? Well, you know, balance sheet, and then the free cash flow in order to help the balance sheet or the whole company. But something like Hertz, too tough. We have our too hard pile. 
Hertz, you know, it's basically was in bankruptcy and going bankrupt. The stock price, the equity moves around. You know, the equity is kind of the last part of the tail. So it's at the end of the tail. It swings the most. It'll do whatever it wants to do. Once we pass, we try not to look at it. But I did see that move, and it, it's irrational, but it happened. Uh, Tesla also goes in our too hard pile. It's very expensive, and it's just another way. There are many ways to make money in the markets, all the, you know, all financial markets, whether there's equity or credit. Some are just not our discipline, not, not a strong suit. So we stick with our knitting, we stick with our discipline, and we pass on things that I would have loved to own a Tesla that triples in a short period of time, but it's just not what we do. So uh, when I hear you saying this, especially when I think about Nike, I'm not thinking about uh, beating down stocks. I, I think I was talking to uh, uh, Whitney Tilson, and he was telling me, you know, uh, I used to look for the, the cigar butts, you know, the ones that were beaten down. I wanted to get the last drag, if you will, uh, off of, off of the, uh, the last puff. Yep. Um, but he's, and, and you know, that's that's how I looked at value at one point in time. But obviously, when you're buying into Nike, you're not. I mean, are you looking at eight, 10, 12 times earnings or less? What what kind of screens are you making for these companies? Because you're saying they're going to go up 50 percent, maybe even 100 percent in a one to five year time horizon. Yeah, we've never been wedded to 12 times earnings or seven times EBITDA or less in order to buy something because that means value. I think that's the way you can find yourself in value traps. Sometimes stocks are, you know, cheap or inexpensive for a reason, is because they're not growing or they're or they're decaying or they're you know melting like an ice cube. We have avoided the value traps by avoiding things that are not growing. We still care about growth. And so for me, value is something that I can buy today that I think is worth considerably more one, three, five years out. Uh, not something that's cheap that I'm trying to you know, get a couple of puffs out of it and release. I certainly know lots of people like that. That's also not what we do. We look for long pulls. We tend to own things for a while because it takes a while. But the real deep value is not our core strength. And Nike, you know, it's not deep value, but do I think it could be worth considerably more in the next few years? Yes. And then you look back oftentimes, especially with the turnarounds and the transformations, they look very expensive when we buy them to other people because they've been under earning for three to five years. Now, if you're looking forward and projecting forward, which is being done less and less, uh, we think, in the market, so it makes it a little bit easier for us, we project forward. So if we see things really improving, return on invested capital, cash flow, earnings, sales in the next few years, we can say, hey, this is going to be a much higher price stock in a few years. We had this ex one example is Zynga. A few years ago, we started buying Zynga. Frank Chabot came in as the new CEO. He's done an outstanding job. And every time I pitched it or discussed it with people, they'd start laughing. And I understood the history wasn't good, but I tried to point out that they were doing everything right. And in a few years, the stock's going to be much more valuable. Now it's gone from two to nine plus in the next, in the last time, I mean, three years. So there are people who aren't laughing anymore. But at the time, it looked very expensive. Right. You know, um, I want to go back uh, full circle where we started this because it was a, such a, a horrendous day. I mean, two things that are on my mind. And, uh, you know, let me just take a look at where the markets ended today. I think it was interesting. I, you know, the small cap 2000 was down 7.8%, uh, followed by the Dow down almost 7%. The S&P was down almost 6 And then the NASDAQ still down over 5%, but, you know, uh, in, in going forward. So th that, uh, you know, that goes 
for me, from almost low beta to high beta, what do you think's going on there? And, and how would you characterize this in terms of your thinking about uh, where you're going to be putting your money going forward? You know, I could be wrong, but it's almost like an inverse of what the market has done for the last one or two weeks. Basically, the best performers became the worst performers suddenly. Uh, now, going forward, I think we're going to have a low growth economy, certainly this year, once we start picking up towards the end of the year and next year. So low growth GDP here around the world means that you've got to go towards companies that are growing faster than GDP, if not considerably faster. So in that regard, quote unquote, growth will outperform. That being said, it's our job to find value within that growth. And that's where a Nike and a Live Nation can grow very quickly off a severe bottom. And I think going forward, you know, it's going to be tough for value, for companies that don't have good top-line growth on their own, ex-economic growth, it's going to be tough for their stocks to perform. Now, there's one caveat that could happen that we've been all waiting for for years, and that's private equity and all their money to come in and start scooping up these companies that have good quality, if not very good quality, that are inexpensive, that are low growth, that can be either be restructured or combined with other companies to make a better growing, more you know, solid company. That said, it's a lot to ask, and right now private equity is focused on taking care of some of the companies they own already, but that's kind of a kicker. But in low economic growth, you would think growth stocks will continue to outperform, and I do. Right. And, you know, when you started this conversation, interestingly, I got the sense that you were saying that, you know, that we've run up 40 percent. We might have gone down five. But, you know, the, the, the companies that you're talking about are not as compelling to buy now in June as they were in March. Are you seeing buys out there? Uh, and if, if not, how much further down will the market have to go before you think uh, your 100-year storm list will start to look interesting again? Yeah, I think that uh, right now everything I bought is still a little bit more expensive for me to add to, though I would like to. And you know, I would say, let's say the market drops another five plus percent. Likely is the beta on these names is a little bit higher than that, so they're going to drop more than that. And I think you know, five to ten percent of the market makes 5 to 15% on these stocks, and then I could add to them, or other names on that 100-year storm list that I missed might come into play, and there's certainly some that I have my sight on. I'm just trying to be patient, because you know while you have to be extra patient in this market, and you have for certainly the last 10 years, it pays, and then you step in slowly. So. Very, very interesting conversation. I mean, uh, let me just uh, wrap it up and give you an opportunity to sort of wrap up your thoughts. I mean, because I think that what you're saying is relatively bullish, I would say, in terms of the outlook, which is somewhat uh, different than what we normally see on RBDB, where I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, myself included, geared towards uh, downside risk mitigation. And the question for you is, is what are your final thoughts about, you know, uh, where the market's going right now and uh, how that impacts you over your one, three to five year time horizon? Well, I certainly applaud downside risk management and mitigation because we do that, too. So I'm all for that. That being said, you know, the stock market is not the economy. And the best thing to do is to project forward, because that's what stocks do. They try to discount the future. So if you're focused on right now or what just happened, you're likely driving in the rearview mirror, and that tends not to be a good way to manage. So we are looking forward, see a better economy, see companies that have 
really had their earnings hurt badly. It's going to be easier to grow off a lower base and that are very high quality with excellent management. And that I think in the next one to three years will do very, very well. Lloyd, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I hope you do well with your picks. I really appreciate the conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Ed. I appreciate it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.